This is the Locked On Nets podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bass, and Marcus Barahal and I were in attendance at Barclays Center last night. We'll give you our thoughts on the Nets' disappointing Game 3 loss, the good aspects of it, what the Nets can take away, and the adjustments that Kenny Atkinson needs to make. You can find us on the Himalaya podcast app. We are Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Nets podcast. I am your host, Josh Bass. Uh, And joining me, he was at the game with me last night, my man, my co-host, Marcus Barahal. Marcus, how you doing today? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, It was a good experience to be at the game for sure. Great atmosphere. Uh, But unfortunately, as I'm sure everyone listening knows, the Nets did lose. So tough break in that respect. We lost. It was a a game where a few minutes before it started, we found out that uh, Joel Embiid was not going to play due to left knee soreness. I excitedly broke the news to to you and former uh, host of this podcast, Gavin Shaw at Shake Shack. And, and uh, when we found out that Greg Monroe, of all people, was going to be taking his place in the starting lineup, I think we, we all felt pretty optimistic. But what happened? Why did uh, the Nets lose this game? And, and really, uh, the Nets made runs here and there. Karis LeVert had a, an excellent stretch in the second quarter. But besides that, Philly definitely was able to keep them at an arm's length. Yeah, and uh, to be fair, I guess Greg Monroe like, didn't really do anything. So that part... He missed a lot of shots. Yeah, that part worked out. Uh, but... Ben Simmons just played really aggressively, kind of got to the line whenever he wanted, and then uh, Philly just kind of killed the Nets from the three-point uh, shot, which was really just from two guys. It was J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris, who made literally all 11 of their threes. Redick had five, and Harris had six. So when, when Philly's like hitting outside shots, which they weren't doing in game one, and Simmons is continuing to play aggressive like he did in this game and in game two, uh, Philly's just more talented, like, honestly, and mm-hmm. uh, there's, like, small adjustments still that the Nets can make in terms of trying to play all three guards together or uh, even ramping up the minutes for guys. Like, D'Angelo Russell was the only guy who played 30 minutes in this game. He still wasn't super efficient. So there's still ways that the Nets can get better, but if Philly is, like, playing at their highest level, which is kind of what they're doing in this game, it's tough to beat them. Yeah, I mean, the Sixers shot 11 of 27 from three, Tobias Harris was 6 of 6. I mean, some of those were really open catch-and-shoots, and and others he was hitting tough shots. J.J. Redick really got going in the third quarter, draining a couple threes, and that was when Joe Harris really started to get exposed. Joe didn't have a good game on offense, 0-4 from 3, wasn't really ever able to get going, and also he just got burnt by Redick multiple times. Uh, A couple times he just lost him going uh, when Redick was sprinting around the court, and then sometimes it was just a really good screen by the Sixers' big man. But definitely, uh, that was kind of a a big mismatch in this game that Philly exploited. Uh, And when you look at the Sixers, yes, J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris combined to shoot 11 of 15 from three, and it's not going to be anywhere close to as good. But their other guys shot 0 of 12, and you have to expect the next game, it's going to be a little bit better from those guys on their end. Really, for the Nets, they have to shoot better from the three-point land, though. They were 8 of 39, and a lot of these were open looks. I mean, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was passed passed up a couple open looks. Travion Graham had a wide-open shot that would have given the Nets a lot of momentum. He missed that. D'Lo is 2 of 9. Joe Harris, 0 of 4. Rody 0 of 3. Uh, besides Levert getting it going in the second quarter, draining uh, three threes in that in that stretch, no one on the Nets could hit a shot, and they were wide open a lot of the time. 
Yeah, and uh, just to like add on to that, six of those eight threes came in the first half. So in the second half, it was just, uh, I think Russell hit one and Dinwiddie mm-hmm. had the four-point play, uh, which was great. But yeah, they just kind of need more. Uh, they just need more. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, I mean, I think Kenny's experimenting. He's trying Rondé. Uh, he tried Ed Davis a little bit. I don't know. I feel like Ed Davis just doesn't look the same after he uh, he hurt his ankle in game one by stepping on Mike Scott's foot. So I, I would be surprised if Ed Davis can make a, a big impact unless the series goes to like maybe six games and then he's uh, a little bit more healthy by then. But right now he just doesn't look like the same guy we saw in game one yeah, where he was a huge X factor. He's barely played in these last two games. He played 10 minutes in this game and I think he played like single digit minutes in game two. So he's definitely hampered. Yeah, I mean, what can the Nets do? I'm just actually looking at the box score now, and it says Alan Crabb was a, a minus one. Well, that's not true because he did not play. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I, I think playing three guards is going to be the way to go. And, th- you know, there needs to be a change to the starting lineup or at least the lineup they throw out there to start the third quarter because with the, the Nets constructed the way they are right now, D'Lo is having to do a ton of work um, in those starting units just because there's no one else that can create and he's, it's taking a toll on him because offensively he has to go up against bigger guys that are really um, putting a pounding on him. And then defensively, there's nowhere for him to hide, so he has to keep working on that end. And he needs Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert to join him at all times to really be able to uh, take some pressure off him. And two of those guys have to be on the court at all times. Dinwiddie needs to be playing 32 minutes. Same with D'Lo, LeVert, same thing to have a chance of, of winning these games against Philly because the Nets just need more firepower because right now they're getting outclassed. Yeah, and you and I talked about this at the game where the Nets are at their best offensively when they have two of those guys on the court at the same time, and they do that pretty much throughout the game. The only time when they don't do it is at the start of the first and the third quarter, mm-hmm. and Philly's gone on these runs the last two games at the start of the third quarter. Uh, the Nets started a little better in this game. I think it was 9-4, to four, but then... The Sixers like quickly took over and they won that first quarter by eight points. So you're just kind of digging yourself into a hole right away. And Philly, I think as we saw in the first game, they're kind of a team that if you get them down early, they're not going to necessarily mount like a big comeback. Like in that first game, the Nets got up nine after the first quarter mm-hmm. and kind of led by about that much the rest of the way. And then in these last two games, once Philly gets a lead, they kind of front run a little bit and they're better playing from ahead, I think. So that's, that's a big key, honestly, is to start stronger. Yeah, they're, they're front runners. I mean, these guys like Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, they're front runners. And if they get hit in the mouth, they're not going to be able to recover. You know, uh, Joel Embiid hit Jared Allen with that elbow, and it was nasty. And if El- Allen had hit one of the Sixers guys with that elbow, they would have been down, you know? Spencer uh, Dinwiddie said that uh, post-game. I yeah, think. they're soft, and we just have to kind of like hit them in the mouth early. Uh, and even in Game 1, when the Nets had that nice lead after the first quarter, a lot of that was done in the, the th- last three or four minutes of that quarter. Once the bench came in, guys like Damari Carroll, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, the starting lineup just doesn't have enough to consistently go at the Sixers starting lineup, even without Embiid right now. Uh, Rody, I thought, had some nice moments to start the third quarter, but he's really been a non-factor, and they need to mix it up, and I get it. Kenny wants to play this egalitarian offense, focused on ball movement, but... This is the playoffs. You can't do that. You have to exploit a mismatch and go to it time and time again until the other team stops it. And that's what they did in Game 1, going right at J.J. Redick, exploiting him. Even in Game 2, they were getting downhill, going at Boban, 
And in game three, a lot of what we saw, a lot of these like set actions, a lot of these flare screens trying to get guys like Damari Carroll and Joe Harris going, and they're just not going to be able to get you the best, uh, most optimized possession on offense. You have to go to your the guys that got you here, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert. Those are the three guys that need to be involved in the action at all times. And enough with running the plays for these role players because they're not going to get it done when you're playing a team like Philly that's just too athletic and too big. Yeah, and all that kind of like ball movement, it's like pretty and it gets everybody involved and probably like motivates guys to play harder on the other end when they're touching the ball. But at the same time, it leaves you more open to turnovers. And that's when Philly's at their most dangerous is when they're able to get the ball either off a long rebound or off of a steal and kind of push in transition so that they're able to get easy points that way. But it's like when when, when you're in the half court, we kind of saw it in game one. It was so easy for... Dinwiddie for Levert for Russell to score when they got either the big man or Reddick switched onto them and then just kind of ISOed and it's like that rocket style of basketball where it's not the most like pleasing to watch but it's efficient and it kind of works and so I think they do need to do that a little bit more in game four absolutely we're going to take a quick break and then talk about the in-game experience a couple other adjustments that the Nets can make and also there's a couple things they did right including Karis Levert's big second quarter and we'll hit on all that coming up back here on locked on nets marcus really there was only one kind of great or two great moments in this game one was the uh third quarter run that the nets had to end it where spencer dinwiddie had the four-point play ben simmons got stripped kind of at midcourt and then levert took it in and then had a nice reverse layup and the crowd got absolutely hyped during that but really the, uh, the best moment for me at the game was Levert dominating in the second quarter. He had 19 points on 8 of 10 shooting in a 7.5-minute stretch. The guy was just on fire like I've never seen from him. Yeah, it was really fun to watch, and it was kind of ironic because in the first quarter, you and I were both kind of complaining that they were running too much through him, and like Dinwiddie yeah, he didn't was look good the kind of just the out there as a decoy, and he was just sort of standing off in the corner. And so we wanted to get him more involved, but then... Uh, at the beginning of the second quarter, it felt like Levert just found his touch on the floater, and he hit like three or four in a row where it was just like he came off the pick and then from about like eight feet in was able to just like float it up and in. And then that opened up his game, and he hit a couple threes like you mentioned. And, yeah, it just felt like he couldn't miss, which was uh, crazy given where he was uh, when he had his injury and all that he's been through to come back. So that was a cool moment for him. Uh, And he's played well in this series, honestly. Uh, It's been kind of the wing players who have let the Nets down. So uh, hopefully they get more from them. But that was definitely really special from Karras. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think his touch on floaters can sometimes look a little bit robotic. He definitely doesn't have – it's not as bad as Dinwiddie's, but it's also not as good as Delo's. But he was just getting it going. He had three or four. uh, And really the the way the Sixers are playing defense, they had Boban or Greg Monroe just kind of plopped all the way back in the paint. So that floater is open, I think. That's something that D'Lo needs to go to more, and, and Levert was doing a nice job of exploiting. Um, and he, he got those to go, and, and then that kind of opened up his three-point shot, and he was just pulling, looking very confident, and hit those. Uh, he was three of eight from three for the game, and I think he hit three of his first four, maybe three of his first three. Um, but yeah, he was really the, the main bright spot for the Nets, and then D'Lo came out in the fourth quarter uh, and got some shots to go. I think he scored the nine Nets points in a row, but then he, he cooled off a little bit with a couple misses and a, a turnover. Uh, but really, it was just Levert. And also, let's talk a little bit about Jared Allen, because he had a, a nice game, especially um, some of his struggles late in the season. 
did not play well these first two games. I thought he did a really nice job, had a couple and ones attacking the offensive glass. He definitely looked more confident, maybe because he knew his tormentor Embiid was not out there. Yeah, that's uh, probably a factor, knowing that you don't have to go against Embiid. And uh, I felt like Allen did a great job against Greg Monroe. He had two offensive rebounds in the first like minute of the game, mm-hmm. and then he got another one later. But he was really active offensively. Defensively, I thought he was fine. Uh, he didn't really hurt the Nets. I would have liked to see him a little bit more, honestly, when they had that super small lineup with Rondé at the five. Mm. I kind of would have liked to have seen uh, the three guards plus Joe Harris or Damari Carroll and Allen at the five just to kind of... Because when when it's Rondé in there, there's really like no defense at all. And so maybe at least having Allen weak side to come over to help inside would have provided something. But he was good in this game, and they definitely needed him with uh, Davis being limited probably due to the injury and uh Dudley didn't really have a great game our boy so that was sad. yeah yeah Dudley was off Dudley was definitely uh was definitely off he airballed a wide open three he just wasn't uh, as crisp and there was a lot of Nets turnover just bad communication they actually only had 15 one less than Philly but I felt like there were some times where they were very sloppy turning the ball over losing guys especially Tobias Harris who was on fire uh in transition and you know, I don't. It's tough to know what kind of adjustments they can make besides um, optimizing their lineups. Just because Philly is really talented, and especially when you have Simmons going downhill, he he was fantastic this game. Thirty-one points and nine assists uh, on eleven of thirteen from the field. He was getting uh, a, a head start and hitting those like three to five foot righty floaters, and it's just tough to, to stop that when he's someone who's six ten, extremely quick. Um, can jump, and he's just a mismatch for this Nets team. And even though they have Greg Monroe clogging the paint, uh, Philly was offense still looked really good. Um, but let's talk about how can the Nets defend uh, Simmons more effectively. And also, Boban was another guy that they just seemed kind of befuddled with. He did foul out only in 18 minutes, but he keeps hitting that that free throw line jumper. He was eight of eight from the line. He definitely caused a lot of damage when he was in the game, plus 18 in his minutes. Yeah, it was weird because I thought Rondé was actually like the most effective in terms of uh, guarding Boban just because he kind of like got under him to the point where Boban's elbows were just like right at his mm-hmm. face level. And so he like caught him with one and that uh, drew an offensive foul. And he just is like constantly fighting and scrapping. I think Allen is maybe more used to just having to go straight up and block shots and isn't necessarily uh, built for kind of like grinding on every play yeah. defensively. Uh so I think in terms of guarding him, it's just a matter of like putting a body on him and keeping him away from the restricted area because he's a lot more effective in there when he can just get offensive rebounds and then dunk without having to jump. So uh, that's what I would do there. But with Simmons, um, it's tough because he, if you let him get to his right, which is ironic because he does shoot lefty, he like has that little runner off the glass that it seemed like he made every time. Uh, and then, I don't know, he made free throws in this game. He doesn't usually, so that might be uh, an aberration. But it's tough because I think you have to make a guy like Jimmy Butler beat you. Like like we said, Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick were the only guys who made threes in this game, and Philly doesn't really have any shooting besides them. So if you can kind of limit the looks for those two guys like they did in game one, I think that's the best option, and just kind of forcing either Mike Scott or James Ennis or just someone else to hit those shots because they haven't proven they can and Harris and Redick have. So I think it's just getting those guys as few shots as you can. Yeah, and I, I don't, honestly, I think it might be uh, prudent to kind of pressure the ball more with Simmons because when he gets his running start and then by the time a net touches him, he's already in the paint, 
it's just it's difficult for for a net to to force a miss without fouling so uh, maybe a little bit more ball pressure, especially because Philly's not going to run any sort of screen and roll. So just see if he can beat you off the dribble. And he probably can, but at least make him make him do it. Uh, and then when it comes to Boban, I agree with you. I think Dudley and RHJ were doing a nice job digging in. Uh, and I think Allen, his big thing is that he's a good weak side defender as a shot blocker and rim protector. But his on-ball defense is just really bad. He's not physical enough. He's letting them get deep post position. He's not meeting them at the point of contact. I mean, Greg Monroe was 4 of 13 from the field, and that's because he sucked. If he was decent, he could have had eight or nine makes on that those attempts because they weren't difficult looks. No, yeah, he was pretty open. He just, like, kept hitting off back rim every time. And he sometimes he got those rebounds. Like, he had six offensive rebounds, but that's just because he missed probably, yeah. like, seven shots within two feet. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's tough for the Nets. I think that Philly's gone to a, a different type of lineup where – um, off the bench, they're playing James Ennis instead of TJ McConnell these last two games. And Ennis's size and athleticism is just making things more difficult for the Nets. I mean, even when guys like Dimity and Levert were able to get mismatches uh, on a Boban or, or on a big man, they had a guy like Ennis just plopped in the paint, shaded over so much that uh, there's just no room to drive. And um, they're kicking out for threes and just guys weren't hitting shots. So um, it's difficult to know if, if the Nets' wings aren't hitting threes like a Damari Carroll, Joe Harris, Rody Kurutz, what they can do to, to beat this team, especially if they're forcing um, the ball away from the guards. Yeah, Philly's doing a great job defensively of like shading off of the right people on the strong side to mm-hmm. kind of like give a soft double on the ball on those drives because, uh, like you said, the Nets haven't really proven that they can hit shots from those wing players. And honestly, Philly hasn't either, but the Nets, it feels like, when their like soft doubles or their zone or whatever happens, it always ends up in the or at least in this game, it ended up in the hands of Harris or Reddick for like wide open looks. And so I think that's just communication and just being aware of who everyone is. I don't know if that's because maybe Philly's bench guys are a little older and a little more experienced than like a Rody Krugs type, but I don't know. It, mm-hmm. it just felt like they knew who was where better than the Nets yeah. did. And I think Philly's, I mean, they're, they're, they don't have a deep bench, so it's not going to be a problem anyway. But they're playing their top guys a lot of minutes. I mean, this was a yep. game where um, there, it was a, a blowout at the end. They didn't need to play um, some of their, their guys. But Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler both played 38 minutes. Tobias Harris, 36. J.J. Redick, 34. Brett Brown's just going for it right now. Um, he knows that he the horses are in his starting lineup, so he's just going to play them mid-30s, high-30s in minutes, and that's what Kenny Atkinson needs to do, and I get it. Maybe you don't play D'Angelo Russell 38 minutes, but play him 34 and see if he can um, extend his hot streaks and, and just giving more guys the opportunity to, even though they're playing more minutes, if they have more help out there, they're actually staying fresher because they don't have to do everything every possession. Yeah, Kenny kind of feels like he's coaching these the same as he did in the regular season and just kind of like trying to manage people's minutes and manage making sure everyone gets touches and everything, which I I don't know. You need to kind of adjust. Yeah. Do you think Rondé should play game four in the normal rotation or only kind of a a break in case of emergency type? Well, I think if Davis is hampered, I think he should play Mm -hmm. uh, just because Ed didn't really give much. It's not really his fault like we've talked about, but if he's limited – Rondé, I think, is probably the best, the next best option to back up Allen there. Yeah, you think better than Dudley? Um, if Dudley can hit shots, he's good. But it, I, I mean, I guess it's just a matter of like trying guys, and if you have, you have to just be able to tell like if they're hitting shots or if Rondé's like playing in control, then you leave him in. But it's it's just kind of like a feel thing. Mm-hmm. Need need more of a quick trigger. I agree with that. And with that, a, a long brainstorming session. I hope Kenny Atkinson takes our recommendations. 
We'll take our final break, and then coming up, we'll actually talk about our experience, which I know I plugged at the start of the last break, but we didn't talk about because we had a lot more game talk to discuss. Marcus, let's let's talk a little bit about our experience at this playoff game. This is my first uh, playoff game at Barclays, and the crowd was was good. They got taken out of it a little bit just because the Nets didn't give them a ton to cheer about. But when the Nets had it going, uh, they were they were into it. But uh, our boy Gavin had a little bit of an adventure getting into the arena, even. Yeah, he did. Uh, so the three of us were going to meet up. Gavin was coming from kind of out of the way, so he was like, he might be late. Blah blah blah. Then we get these texts that he's on time, things are looking great, uh, so we're all planning to meet there. Uh, I meet Gavin at Shake Shack across the street from Barclays Center. He gets his veggie burger, he gets his fries, Josh comes and joins us, tells us Joel Embiid's out. This is all going great. Uh, at this point, there's maybe like it's like 7.45, probably maybe 7.50. Uh, we go to go into Barclays, and Gavin has not eaten any of his food, and we say, are you going to bring that in? And he says, yeah, of course, they should let me, which... I think you and I both paused because that's... I immediately knew they were not going to. Yeah. Like, why would really they... make any sense. Is, yeah. In what world do you think you can bring in your own veggie burger and fries? <laughs> and it's not like he's a special, like, food allergy or anything. He just got it from Shake Shack. And when he, he texted us saying, I'm going to get a snack. So I thought he was just going to get, like, a fries or something. I did, but too. But he comes out with this whole meal. Yeah, he had like a fork and knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't he had a bib? He didn't know that he needed to. I transferred his ticket to him uh, the day before because he thought he might be late. He didn't know that he needed to accept it and then sign in and everything. So then me and you just went in with Adam. Yeah, we, he he gave us his blessing at least because he also had a backpack that he had to check and it was like a whole ordeal. He was a mess. Yeah, he did make it in though, like right at tip off. So he he got in at the in the nick of time. You and I had been in our seats for a couple minutes at that point and we stopped to get food also so yeah uh, big delay from gavin but yeah, yeah i thought the, i thought the crowd was good uh they were booing simmons like on every which touch was great in the beginning which i loved uh yeah things kind of died down once philly made that run in the fourth quarter but i felt like everyone was pretty engaged up to that point uh the four-point play it was like incredible uh great atmosphere i thought so hopefully that continues in game four at least yeah the atmosphere was good up until the the very end and then these really really obnoxious philly fans they were they were there the whole game but um kind of a a vocal minority maybe i thought it was gonna be a lot worse i'd say it was maybe like 20 percent sixers fans does that sound right yeah that sounds about right and yeah it felt like they were silent until the last like six minutes yeah and then this this they were just out of control this one like really really overweight guy that was just infuriating me with this huge ugly beard he was he was going to town the last three or four minutes, and uh, I think he exchanged words with some Nets fans at the end. Yeah, they, yeah, I saw that, and they also like they were chanting "trust the process," which that part's fine. But then they also started chanting like "E A G L E S" for the Eagles, which I don't know. You and I are both Jets fans, so that that doesn't really like do anything. For yeah, us. I mean, yeah, if you're playing Boston, then sure. Right. But I don't know. I mean, I guess the Giants, but yeah. is there, there's like no connection. I feel like the Nets don't have any connection to. Uh, to like any of the, the New York football teams, even though Saquon and Sterling Shepard were both there. That's true, yeah. If they had done some kind of like anti-Islanders chant, maybe mm-hmm. that could have been more effective. I don't know. Not to or give anti-common, them any anti-common chant, because Common right, was yeah, there. Yeah, Common was there. <laughs> love, love Common. Mr. Wright. They could use him. They could use another like uh, shooting guard type. Yeah, former net, great, right? Didn't, wasn't he on the Nets in yeah. that movie? <laughs> With him and Queen Latifah. Yeah. Could yeah, use him on the wing. Good, good crowd. Uh, definitely great to see 
Barclays rocking for the playoffs. Um, it, I don't know. I feel like if Embiid plays in Game 4, there's no chance the Nets have. If he doesn't, I feel like Kenny can hopefully scrounge up just enough adjustments to uh, make this game competitive because, I mean, this is the series right here. The Nets need to win this game to have a chance of, uh, of pulling the upset overall. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of been disappointing how the series has gone, even though, like, if you had told me before the series, like, it would be 2-1 going into Game 4, I think it would have been like, okay, yeah, that makes makes sense. But just the way that it happened with the Game 1 being so high, and then it's kind of come down since then, uh, hopefully the momentum can change. Because, like you said, if they lose this one, it's probably over in 5. If they win this one, who knows? You know, maybe maybe they protect home court in Game 6 also, and then then you never know. We were at a high, but slowly and surely we have... Come down to uh, to the nadir of our Nets fandom. That's Tomorrow is 420 also, by the way. Oh, <laughs> wow. We want the series to get to a high. Okay, we need to get back to that high. <laughs> and and even the series, uh, I know we will both be, I think, I think, are we watching together? Yeah, we can. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll do that. Maybe we'll have a guest on the pod. Um, I like talking to guests when the Nets win, and I can gloat and be happy. And when they lose, it's just like, I don't even want to. I don't even you, want to talk. You barely about want to anymore. talk to me. I think when, I when barely do. It's like I'm getting all these texts and saying, "Ah, I don't want to answer them." The Nets lost. You know, I'm sad. I'm sad. My my emotional state really does live and die with this team. You can find the podcast on Himalaya Podcast app. We are very excited to be partnered with them. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car, say, "Hey Alexa, play podcast Locked On Nets." or any of our friends on the Locked On Podcast Network, including our boy Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers. He's the only Sixers-related media that we will tolerate at this point. You can find Marcus at Marcus Barahal on Twitter. I am at JMBass underscore, and you can find the two of us at Locked On Nets on Twitter. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Tweet us uh, and share us your thoughts on the series and the podcast. We love your feedback. And until next time, I hope I'm talking to you after a Nets win. Be well. Bye.